The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is the future of the future with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to transform industries. And importantly, they'll discuss how these technologies and strategies can shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, you are in the right place. The buzz today, tension, pressure, pain. Come on, close your eyes. Don't you remember that TV ad? Well, I know some of you are back in the era when I was listening to that. Let's talk about business now. B2C and B2B businesses in all industries are racing to go digital. Now you get the tension, pressure, pain part. They're driven by new and different competition Fast advancing technology, relentless profit pressures quarterly and maybe even faster than that. As your company faces these challenges, a couple of things surface. Two important things. How can you keep your customer at the center of what you do? Come on, you know, we're in the digital economy. Customer has to be king. They have to be king or queen. They have to be key. They have to be in the middle of what you do. It's a customer-centric world. Be there or you're not going to be there. Second thing is you need to be able to predict, design, and deliver a new product or service How fast? Before they even know they want it. What? You're kidding me. No, that's what people are expecting today. We have a panel of three experts who get this. They're going to share their wisdom, their insights, maybe some case studies along the way. We have a fascinating topic for you. And if you haven't gotten it by now, the topic is digital mindset, keeping your customer at the center of your business. First up on the panel, I'm very pleased to welcome back somebody who's getting to be a real regular on our shows, all of our Game Changers shows. He is Gray Scott, founder and CEO of SeriousWonder.com. And Gray has sent me an interesting quote from uh, a writer named Winifred Gallagher who wrote a fascinating article in the New York Times recently, and the article is titled, What's New? Exuberance for Novelty Has Benefits. Okay, I'm going to let Gray explain that, but let me tell you what the quote is. Nothing reveals your personality more succinctly than your characteristic emotional reaction to novelty and change over time and across many situations. Gray Scott, welcome back. How are you? Hey, Bonnie. I'm doing well. Thank you for this quote. I, I loved having to do some homework here and looking up this article. So what's this all about? What do we mean by exuberance for novelty? And how does that relate to what we're trying to talk about, keeping the customer at the center of the digital world for all businesses? Gray, talk to us. Tell me about the quote. So researchers are calling this neophilia, and the idea is that we are becoming a species that is novelty-seeking. And we always have, but we're in an age now where we have access to digital novelty 
all the time, right? I mean, we have access to, you know, binging on Netflix series. We have access to the newest clothing, the newest car, the newest watch, and the newest information at our fingertips. And so you look at companies like Twitter, and they realized, I think they added this thing called moments, and they realized that people were interested in what's happening right now. They want to know, you know, what's happening within the last 30 minutes. They want to be live inside of the action. And I think when companies start thinking about their customer as novelty-seeking, right, you can sort of wrap your business around the idea of novelty, Interesting. How would you define novelty, Gray? Is this something you embrace with your business, uh, SeriousWonder.com? Is this, is this, you think this is healthy for us in the business world to be that enraptured and captured by that moment? What about planning? Any thoughts before we move to our next panelist, Gray? Well, Serious Wonder is based on the idea of emerging technology. So, of course, I'm always on the lookout for what's next and what's new. So this really caught my attention. And our business model is sort of showing people what is coming down the line. I mean, as a futurist, that's my job. My job is to get people to start thinking about uh, and get companies to start thinking about what is about to happen. And part of that is uncovering these these tiny bits of novelty. Um, You know, we're living in the age of know me now. That's what I've been Mm -hmm. calling is is we have to know the customer right now because the customer, because they are novelty-seeking, they're changing faster than ever. And so you can't count on uh, the, the old data that we've had for our customers. We have to continually know them in the moment. And so that is my idea of novelty, is sort of getting to know the customer in the know-me-now age. I like that. We're always coming up with new ways to call what we're living through, and I like that know-me-now age. Very interesting. Thank you, Gray. Good introduction and welcome back. And now let's turn to our second panelist. He's a newcomer to Game Changers. He is Dan Gwynn, G-W-Y-N-N. He's a partner in digital transformation, consulting, and enterprise solutions at Tata Consultancy Services, and we familiarly known them as TCS. And Dan has sent me a quote from Steve Jobs. Come on, you all know who Steve Jobs is. You may not have known that his full name was Stephen Paul, Jobs. We know he passed away on October 5th, 2011, way too soon. An American IT entrepreneur and inventor. Think Apple, think OMG, Pixar Animation Studios, a lot of innovations. He changed our culture, literally. Let me read a quote from his official biographer, Walter Isaacson, who described Steve Jobs shortly after his death as a creative entrepreneur whose passion for perfection and ferocious drive revolutionized six industries, personal computers, animated movies, music, phones, tablet computing, and digital publishing. If that's not a legacy, I don't know what is. So here's the quote that Dan has picked. Get closer than ever to your customers. So close that you can tell them what they need well before they realize it themselves. Dan Gwynn, welcome to Game Changers. How are you today? Good afternoon, Bonnie. Thank you for having me on the panel. I'm excited to be here. We are very excited to have you. And a shout-out to Tiffany Stronsky and our good friends at TCS and uh, Frank Diana. We have a lot of good friends there who are fans and uh, and frequently on Game Changers Radio. So, Dan, do you follow Steve Jobs? Did you when he was alive? What's your take on him? And how did you pick this quote for our topic today? Yeah, well, I, I'm a huge Steve Jobs fan. I think what he's done um, 
with digital technologies and customer experience, whether you're in an, an Apple store, whether you're on their website, whether you're on your smartphone, it, you know, it is always a great experience in my view. And I think they set the gold standard for customer experience. Um, but the quote itself, what I like is that it's succinct, it's clear, and I think it gets right to the heart of the customer experience challenge. It's really about not just satisfying demand or creating demand. We've always done that, right? It's always been something businesses have had to focus on. Um, but what's changed now is the ability to interact with our customers on a real-time basis and gather a level of insight and intelligence about them that's been impossible in the past. And so, you know, this quote speaks exactly to that. How do we get that data? How do we harvest that data? How do we use that data? And how do we then turn that into insights that allow us to actually guide customers to things that they aren't even aware exist and fill needs that they don't even know they have? And so I liked the simplicity of it. I love Steve Jobs, and I think it speaks right to the heart of the challenge of customer experience. Thank you very much. Very interesting, Dan. And uh, I did a little discovery about Steve Jobs. I Wikipedia'd him again. I like to look up the sources of my guest quotes. And I discovered that I was very surprised that uh, he and Steve Wozniak bonded over their mutual fascination with Steve Jobs' musical idol, Bob Dylan. They would discuss his lyrics and collect bootleg reel-to-reel tapes of Bob Dylan's concerts. Can you imagine that? We're talking about Steve Jobs, and all of a sudden we're talking about reel-to-reel tapes. Is is that even is that an oxymoron? Does that kind of blow your mind, Dan Quinn? Hard to believe? It does, but being as old as I am, I can have full appreciation for that bonding that occurred. <laughs> Me too, my friend. I was carrying around boxes with uh, 80-column Hollerith cards and key punching when I started as a, as a uh, programmer analyst back. Were you, were, were you back? Were you around back then, Dan, or was it just Oh, me? yes. I, I can remember sitting in front of the typewriter in college, typing up papers, getting to page eight, and starting all over again. <laughs> I knew I liked you, Dan Quinn. Well, welcome. Also, I don't know if anybody knew, but Steve Jobs also dated Joan Baez. That goes way back in the history of folk music, and she had already dated Bob Dylan. So Steve Jobs was really in a chain of culture and, and counterculture, they'd call it. Anyway, very, very interesting. So now let's welcome our third panelist. He is also no stranger to Game Changers. As a matter of fact, he even sponsors his own series called Internet of Things with Game Changers. Of course, I'm talking about Ira Burke. He's the VP. Right now, he's the VP of Digital Transformation Solutions in SAP's HANA Global Center of Excellence. And Ira has sent me a quote from Ross Perot. I couldn't find too many very unusual things about Ross Perot other than the H. Some people call him H. Ross Perot. It stands for Henry. Uh, He's an American businessman known for being an independent presidential candidate in 1992. I wonder how he would have fared on that stage right now with this zoo. Excuse me for uh, pontificating there or for editorial. And he was the Reform Party candidate in 1996. Ross Perot, we need you. He founded EDS in 1962. He sold it to GM in 84. And he founded Perot Systems in 1988. Perot Systems, get ready for this, was bought by Dell 
in 2009. That's only seven years ago for $3.9 billion. And Ross Perot's estimated net worth is only about $4.1 billion. Last year, he's ranked by Forbes as only the 129th richest person in the United States. Here is the quote that Ira Burke has selected. Spend a lot of time talking to customers face to face. You'd be amazed how many companies don't listen to their customers. Ira Burke, how are you today? Doing great, Bonnie, and thanks again for uh, having me on a, on a different show this time. I know, and you're on a Skype line, aren't you? It's like you're standing right here in my office with me, Ira. That's <laughs> amazingly clear. So, Ira, talk to me. You big fan of Ross Perot, and did you know his first name was Henry? Be honest. So I did. So I did. I, so I did not know his first name was uh, oh. was Henry. But but I really like the quote, um, especially if we're going to be uh, speaking about how you connect with uh, customers in a digital age, uh, because it's uh, it's a good reminder that you're still talking about real people at the end of the day, and that whatever we're talking about, gleaning from the data and going with new uh, and creative ways to, to reach customers, that there is uh, a little bit of the uh, old-fashioned face-to-face approach that's, uh, that's essential for, uh, for really understanding what's happening in the market. So Ira, tell me, going back to my opening and something from Dan Gwynn's quote as well, we talk about knowing what the customer wants, that new service, that new product, before they even know they want it. Now, that's not they even knew it was existing before they even know they want it. Is that what you get from talking to the customer? Is there a dangerous edge there, Ira, where somebody would say, gee, I really wish, Bob, that you and your company would manufacture this widget that's never been done before. And then you think, OMG, we better do it now. Bob's a good customer. How much pressure does that put, Ira? Any thoughts? Oh, oh, that's not dangerous at all. That's that's what makes it so much more fun to talk to them face to face than to try to figure it out from the data, right? Because that that is, you know, so many uh, of the good ideas come exactly from those conversations, um, or at least understanding how to take what you do have to offer and fit it into their lives and make it uh, and make it accessible to them. Uh, insights that only come from those face to face conversations, which I think are a uh, are an important backdrop then to uh, what we can get, uh, which is uh, almost scary what we can get from the data and how much you can see what they're going to want before they want it. It is. And and that brings me back. Grace Scott, I want to roll you into this conversation before we talk about our what's in your cup today part of the show. Gray, we talked about this neophilia word, novelty seeking. We are as humans. Gray, what if you get a customer you're sitting face to face and they say, oh, let me just put on my thinking cap. If people still say that, Gray, you're way too young to remember that. <laughs> let me put on my thinking cap, Gray. Let's see if I could just imagine what you would come up with next in your product line. I think it would be XYZ, is the pressure on then? Is this neophilia going to drive customers to come up with preposterous, presumptuous demands or wish lists? Gray, how, how do you balance that one? Well, I don't think it's impossible or um, uh, in a lot of ways um, improbable. Let's use that word. I don't think it's improbable mm-hmm. to, to sit face-to-face with customers. And a lot of times when I'm trying to find out what is coming or what's next, the 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 way that I sort of work is I'm looking to what I've been calling cultural echoes. And these cultural echoes, you can find them everywhere. They're memes. Uh, they, you hear them on the street all the time. People repeat, culture repeats what is missing or what is needed or what's wrong with a design. You hear it all the time, right? And mm-hmm. we have, for a very long time, we have ignored these cultural echoes. And I think companies have decided, well, you know, it's working, why rearrange it? And I think that's why Steve Jobs was successful. What he realized was that people were walking around with a cassette tape in their, in their hand with a cassette player. And you can only hold, 
you know, at max, 24, let's say 24 songs if you were lucky on that cassette tape. So the cultural echo for him was that he kept hearing people complain about this, and he saw that that was, that was to be solved. And so that's mm-hmm. what I'm saying about neophilia. Neophilia yes. is, is this idea that we should be seeking out what is missing or what needs to be innovated uh, within the marketplace. I like that. Thank you. Let's rolling that around all the way back to your opening. Okay, it's time, Gray. Let's find out. You've been on so many shows with me. I'm not sure if you have a... Oh, I I tell you what. I'm going to go on record, Gray Scott, as saying I'm a novelty-seeking radio producer and host who's looking for something new and fresh from you when I ask you, Gray Scott, what are you drinking today? So I'm going to just pass that right along to you. Well, typically, you know, I've told you before many times that I... I drink coffee, but I'm trying to get away from coffee, so I'm actually drinking uh, jasmine green tea today. So, ah, are you putting anything in it, or is it just a straight up neat? Just straight uh, green tea. Okay. Well, it sounds very healthy. I'm very proud of you, Gray. I'm prouder of you than I am of me. Oh, I'm drinking water. It's okay. I can say that today. But I always am. Dan, Gwen, what are you drinking today? We don't know you, so we'd like to get to know a little bit about you. Well, I'll tell you, it's going to be about at the far extreme of what uh, Gray's drinking. I am drinking a lifeblood of many consultants. I have a red line extreme energy drink. I am a little bit late to be this caffeinated, but... Uh, but that's what I'm drinking right now. Okay. How strong is that caffeine? You think you're going to be flying out of wherever you are when we're done, or are you just well, going to be flying during the show? Well, you know, if, if I believe what the marketing says, it's got about 40 milligrams of caffeine in there. Uh, but the, the, the additional side benefit is I think it's going to help me lose body fat. So, you know, I'm making it a, a staple of my diet nowadays. Okay. Well, I just read something about people with a higher BMI body ma- mass index live longer. So you better check the numbers first, Dan, before you yeah. touch that. I, I, I think we have so many numbers, we don't know what's going. Depends on whom you, in whom you believe. We'll leave that one alone. Ira Burke, what are you drinking today? Something refreshing? Well, I mean, what it sounds to me is like you know, Dan's caffeine is too strong and Grace is too weak. So, uh, so I think mine is going to come right <laughs> in the middle this time, and uh, it's it's the uh, the half calf K cup from Green Mountain. Um, just uh, a little bit of uh, of coffee for this time of day. I appreciate that. Ira and Gray know that, Dan, you don't know me well, but they don't let me have caffeine on radio show day, so I'm holding off. And it's, this is a this is a bookend day. This is a show at 10 in the morning and, and a show at, at 4 in the afternoon today. So uh, very interesting. So I'm just being very, very good and having a glass of cool, clear water in a cool mug with a pink straw because I'm happy that we finally have sunshine here in New York. So there. To our listeners, we are talking about a very serious topic. Yes, we're having a good time, but a lot of interesting topics have already come up on the table. Talking to Gray Scott, Dan Gwynn, and Ira Burke, who is on Skype. That's why he sounds so crystal clear. Our topic is digital mindset, keeping your customer at the center of your business. So we're making the presumption that you have a business. We're making the presumption that you have a customer. And then we're telling you we're going to help you figure out in this digital economy how to put that digital thinking cap on and make it customer-centric because that's how you're going to stay around and be in business and have customers. Customers. But I rest my case. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. We'll be right back. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. Chris out. An unprecedented pace of change. 
driven by exciting technology advances like the Internet of Things, is disrupting your industry and every other industry around the globe. Your future business success will be influenced by your ability to understand and harness these innovations and many more. Mobile devices instantaneously connecting the world populations, robotics, 3D printing, and self-driving cars. The sharing economy and ubiquitous global business networks. Reality Check. The future is happening right now. Join us for insights from industry experts on what it all means for your business and your daily life. The Future of the Future with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit SAP.com. You're listening to The Future of the Future with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to the future of the future with Game Changers. Welcome back. This is Future of the Future with Game Changers Radio. We're talking about digital mindset, keeping your customer at the center of your business. My special guests today are Gray Scott, official futurist, Dan Gwynn at TCS, and Ira Burke, of course, at SAP. And let's see, it's time for us to launch into our roundtable in earnest. So I'm looking at Gray Scott's notes. Gray, let me read a little bit, and then we're going to ask you to expand it. You say, we are living in the age of know me now. That's our consumer. The know me now consumer. People are changing faster today. Why? Because they have more access to options and information. The question on the table for businesses, and we're addressing B2B and B2C, is how well do you know your customer? Gray, how important is this? I think it's crucial to understand not only the, the customer, but to engage that customer in the process of creating your next product. I think a lot of you're seeing that in a lot of companies now. Uh, and one of the reasons that's important is because if you have a loyal customer and you have three other competing companies trying to take your, that, that uh, customer away from you, mm-hmm. it's really important that, to cultivate that relationship by making them feel like they have the power to, to change the product. And we're seeing this across the board, whether it's a music album, you know, people are starting to release uh, the names of their songs and changing them before the mm-hmm. album comes out based on what the 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 feedback is from the customers, and we're seeing this with apps as well. So I think it's, a, it's important for the Know Me Now uh, audience uh, using big data and predictive analytics to sort of plug all those things together and start to realize that you're having a, a, a digital relationship with these customers. It's not a one-sided, uh, you know, I'm going to provide a product and you can consume it. That, that sort of model is moving away. Gray, I'm going to ask you to level set for me in the audience before I invite Dan and Ira into this part of the conversation. Does this apply, what you're talking about, to every industry, to every business footprint, if you will, the, the new company that's flexible and agile, we love to call it, or the older company that has so much infrastructure changes hard no matter when they try to do it? Any particular industry we're talking about, any particular part of the world we're talking about, any particular manufacturer, can you give us a little detail? Well, unfortunately, uh, or maybe fortunately, I've said before that every business is going to be digital business in the future. That is the direction mm-hmm. that we're moving on this planet. And it doesn't matter if you're baking cookies or selling computers, you have to have a digital component 
within your company to understand your customer, to get the data, to be inside of that feedback loop, that digital sort of analytic uh, predictive space, so that you understand where things need to be at a certain time so that the I want it when I want it now uh, crowd, which is basically what everyone <laughs> everyone's becoming, mm-hmm. um, that kind of uh, thinking, whether you're selling cookies or running uh, you know, a computer company, that those kinds of uh, processes need to be in place. Whether you sort of break off a section of the company and make it solely their responsibility to come up with those ideas, I think that's probably the way to go for, for larger companies where it's hard for them to move those resources around. You should really have your moonshot um, space that you can start thinking about what's impossible and make it possible. Thank you, Gray. Dan Gwynn at TCS, love to get your point of view on this. And, Dan, I'm looking at your bio, and I see that you have worked with huge organizations, GE, HP, International Paper, Georgia Pacific, Nestle, PepsiCo, Cargill, Mead Johnson Nutrition, Green Mountain Coffee. My goodness. So you see it. You can see that perspective from the big, what I call the big behemoth company side. So, Dan, react. Please respond to what Gray put on the table for us. Yeah, certainly. I, you know, I, I, first to the comment about the industries, I, I agree with Gray. You're, you're going to see this across the spectrum, industrial organizations as well as consumer products, life sciences, insurance. They're all going to be in, in one degree or another having to deal with this issue. But I also think it's speaking to a, a larger trend that is going on right now, and I think it's going to continue to escalate. And that's the importance of the uh, metadata and contextual data mm-hmm. Um in the uh, analytics and analysis and understanding of your consumers and customers. Today, a lot of organizations, the primary source of data is their transactional data. And, and they even struggle a little bit today with uh, a lot of fragmented systems or older systems that just aren't up to the digital economy and pulling that to data. But the important thing is going to be as we move forward is merging with that transactional data, metadata and contextual data so that they really do get a full view of what the customer is thinking, what they're feeling, how they're reacting to things and incorporating it from all those different sites, whether it be social media sites, you know, Twitter, Facebook, um, or other means, your own internal websites, uh, your smart devices. But I think his comment just speaks to that trend and the challenge that organizations are going to have about incorporating that contextual and metadata in with their transactional data. It's going to be a Thank big you challenge. very much. Keyword key contextual, I think. I Ira Burke, love to have you join this part of the conversation. What are you thinking? Well, so so first of all, I really like this idea about the uh, the contextual information, and I think uh, one of the things that we can do now is be more and more creative about where the contextual information comes from, right? So you know, so what do we know about the customer? Like you know, like we said about their about their interactions with uh, with the business, about what they're saying on social media, about other things that they're doing, and what's happening in the environment around them. What do we know about the world they're living? In and how many different data sources are available to create a, a, a picture that we can start to explore to understand uh, to understand where the where the customer is and the, you know the more data points we bring whether whether or not we think they seem relevant um, it's it's amazing what the computer and the algorithms can start to uncover that tell us where our customers are uh, are headed and uh, so bringing the data in gives us a uh, a new point of view and a new richness to the information that was never possible uh, before we started to digitize Interesting. Never possible before. I think that's what we're talking about. New, novelty, innovative, all going together. Gray, you want to wrap this one up for us? Any thoughts on what Dan and Ira said? 
I think what both of them have touched on is, is the, the, the heart of the subject of the digital customer and the digital relationship we have and how that's going to change in the future. The idea that big data and predictive analytics will tell us to tell the customer what they want is a real shift in thinking, and I think that's, that's what the future is all about. Thank you very much. I like your brevity, Gray. I know I can count on you to get those words in and just wait for the resonance to come after that. Thank you. <laughs> Dan Gwynn, we, we've worked together on so many shows. I, yeah, you're going to get one of the most regular visitors on Game Changers, I think next to Ira Burke. I think you're coming in second here. Dan Gwynn, let's look at your notes. A uh, couple of things jump out at me. Number one, I'm going to talk about the flip side of this, your note that says your customer centricity will never be more evident than when there is a problem and you're referencing social media and other digital technologies that will expose the shortcoming and you go so far as to say, Mr. Gwynn, that it could be fatal. So let's talk, we're talking about how wonderful this is and how you need to do it. Do you need to do it well enough so you don't have a problem, or do you need to do it even better when there is a nip it in the bud? How do we handle this, Dan Gwynn? Yeah, well, you know, this is this is the dark side of it, I suspect. But you know, in the uh, the age of social media, you know, a, a good or a bad experience with customer service, it's no longer limited to your circle of friends. I I think there used to be an old saying out there that said, for every bad experience, your customer is going to tell eight to ten people, and you need to be worried about that, right? Well, you know, today, you know, that bad experience can be shared with millions thanks to social media, and I think everybody has had an experience where either on uh, YouTube or somewhere you've seen, uh, and I won't name companies, but people throwing mm-hmm. boxes up on front porches and damaging them. Oh, or yeah. Airlines losing baggage and not addressing it or people taping the customer service phone call and posting it. It can be incredibly, incredibly damaging. And, uh, and most of those mishaps incidentally happen offline, which gets to a, a, another theme that I think is here around merging offline and online and not becoming too technology centric but this is the dark side of it and it's a uh, it's a real real risk that people have to manage thank you very much Ira Burke I'm going to go around the table in the same order as always and ask you to respond what do you think about this problem agree with Dan you know it's uh, it, it, it is a real risk but it also uh, you know the flip side of it so there's a light side to the dark side it's it's a real uh, a real opportunity uh, because the truth is these bad experiences were always happening in the background mm-hmm. and they weren't visible and so if you're running a business and trying to make things better you you didn't know you didn't know um, unless you went and looked and how much can you look how many times can you go and check? Um, I mean, I've, I've been in a business where uh, where we were selling things over the telephone, and and so I had a chance to kind of randomly plug in and listen to the conversations that our telesales reps were having with customers, and so I'd start to get a flavor for uh, for what was happening in our customer interactions. But that that's that's just a small fraction of what you can get from uh, text analysis on social media and see how this is playing out over and over again. Let alone the really bad ones that go viral. So I think it is uh, there is a danger that. If if you do things wrong, it's going to get out, but also an opportunity to make corrections that you may not have had in the past. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Gray Scott, love to get your POV on this. Thoughts? Uh, I agree with Ira. The opportunity is there for companies to shift their focus, um, whether that's customer service and a face-to-face interaction. And, uh, you know, I can give you a quick example. 
Uh, I travel a lot, just as I'm sure all of you do, and you have a comparison when you travel a lot. If you stay in a really nice hotel compared to a not-so-nice hotel. And so a lot of times I will give the hotel feedback and say, you know, maybe you could look at this or maybe you could look at this. And the the companies that are willing to do that, the companies that are, are willing to pay attention to that when it comes up immediately are the ones that are successful. The ones that keep brushing that back until it becomes a tsunami of uh, social media where people are posting all the time the same exact problem point, that's where you have a problem. And so the early adopters, this is for the companies, the early adopters within the company that say, oh, we've got a problem here, or this is, this is a, a place where we can improve our product, those are the companies that are going to succeed. Thank you very much. Dan Gwynn, before we move on to some topics from Ira, I have something else. Ira, if you don't mind, I have something else in Dan's list I'd really like to cover. He says, and this is a a very, I think, clarifying comment. He says, customer experience is not about the technology. I think we need to sew that on a pillow or or knit it on the side of of a helmet or something, Dan. You say it's about personalization, convenience, speed, connectivity. And here's a quote that we all have to remember from Dan Gwynn. I think this one's going to go down in history. A user interface is like a joke. If you have to explain it, it is not good. I love that. You will not have a second and third chance to be sticky. Dan, talk to me. Do you think everybody thinks, oh, digital economy, sharing economy, digitization, technology. Wow, the customer wants more and more technology. And you're saying, no, personalization, convenience, speed. That, to me, is our human human traits, human needs. What do you think? Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, I, I think the one of the big risks is viewing this too much as a, a technical thing and not viewing it as an experience thing and looking holistically and broadly at the entire customer experience. You know, the things we've always looked at and the things that are now being enabled through these new technologies. Matter of fact, I think, you know, in the past, there used to be a a large focus on products, uh, features, and functions, and that was the focus of a lot of your, your selling, whereas now I think the features and functions are actually becoming secondary to the user experience. People will actually overlook certain features and functions if they have a good experience, and that experience has to be consistent across all their interactions with the organization. And so I I think that this actually is something where companies run a risk if they don't recognize that it's not just about the technology. It's the experience. Mm Mm-hmm. Very, very interesting. Ira Burke, love to get your thoughts on this, please. Uh, no, hundred percent. This is uh, this is this is an essential part of, of delivering anything successfully in uh, in the economy today. The whole uh, and the whole the whole story of the iPhone is about the experience of using it. It's uh, it's easy to find an app that won't run on it, or a feature that's missing, or something that's a little bit hard to get done. But people who are bought into the experience are uh, are not about to give it up, and then it serves as a model for other people delivering good end to end experiences. So. So uh, I 100% agree. Gray Scott, agree, disagree? No, I agree. I, I think the experience is the, the key point um, of most apps, really. I mean, the good apps are the ones where you are in some sort of process, and at the end of that process, whether it's crunching numbers or finding your next uh, ride to the airport, whatever that experience is, if it's seamless and if it feels like it's been easier than before, that, that's where... Uh, people are finding success. Okay, thank you very much. Ira Burke, time for me to look at your notes. You 
threw me a little bit of a curve here, Ira. You said to keep the customer at the center, it's critical to measure and track customer success as a key performance indicator. One way to do this effectively is the net promoter score. So I looked it up, Ira. You know, I love to Google things. And it turns out, for anybody like me who doesn't know, it's a management tool, the NPS, to gauge the loyalty of customer relationships. It serves as an alternative to traditional customer satisfaction research. Please fill out this survey and we will let you know if you want something. Oh, thank you for your time. Only 22 minutes. And it claims to be correlated with revenue growth. So why don't you tell us a little bit about this metric? Who uses it? Where does it come from? Ira, why don't you educate us? Well, I'm sure that I'm sure that software companies are using it because at least each one that I've worked for has been uh, has has been using it, and and I think uh, there there are two things that I find very important about the uh, the net promoter score. Um, one is that it is an objective measurement, right? Uh, and the other is that it's simple, right? So you're just asking the customer one question: Would you recommend our product or our service or our company um, to a friend? That's it, right? And and you rate that on a scale of one to ten. And if the answer is a nine or a ten, then you're in good shape. Then you know that they're saying good things about your company. If it's six or lower, then you say that person is not going to be saying good things about you. Um, and and sevens and eights are somewhere in the middle. They're not really recommending or not recommending. And and you just look at how what percentage of your customers are nines and tens, which ones are six and below. And the higher you can get that number, the more you know people are saying good things about you. So you've got an objective measurement of your experience that you're delivering for your customers. Uh, and it's something everybody could work on. And it's less, you know, less discussion about whether they like this feature or that feature, whether a particular screen is good or whether a particular product does what it needs to do. And much more about the customer's experience working with you in a way that can be measured and tracked over time. And people can be rewarded on whether or not that number is improving. Uh, so I think it's a very powerful concept that takes a complicated problem and puts it in simple terms that a business and its customers can both understand. Thank you. Grace Scott, you agree? Are you a promoter or a user or a, uh, a recommender of the net promoter score, Greg? I'm not a user, but I, I've researched uh, other applications that are similar, and especially within the social media network. Uh, it is important, I think, for people to recommend your product and to, to talk about your project because that's really uh, if, if, a, if a friend of yours says you should really try this new app, you know, it'll change your mm-hmm. life. Right. Um, most Won't of they all? Will, yeah, <laughs> all of these apps will change our lives. <laughs> most of us, if it's a trusted friend, there's a lot of research that goes into to which friends uh, that recommend the product you would use that information. But if you trust this person, there's a trust factor there you will probably look at the app and more than likely download the app or the, use the product or visit uh, the resort or all those things. And so it, it really comes down to not just um, whether the, the customer is sharing your information, whether they're satisfied, it's also their network, right? So we, we mm-hmm. sort of touched on this before. You know, there's a, there's a huge difference in, in someone recommending an app that has 20,000 people on uh, uh, Twitter versus someone who has 50 million people on Twitter. I mean, there's a big difference, and I think those are the people you really should pay attention to. Interesting. Okay, I want to roll this around to Dan Quinn. Dan, thoughts on the Net Promoter Score? Do you know about it? Do you recommend it? Any thoughts? Yeah, no, certainly. It's a a well 
well-used uh, way to measure loyalty of customers. I'll tell you, though, I uh, having uh, four kids, I, I can appreciate the importance of uh, word of mouth and things spreading, and especially with the younger generation. Um, you know, there's this desire, and I don't know if this goes, but is somehow tied in the neophilia that we talked about earlier, but there's this desire to kind of... Uh, uh, migrate towards the things that are popular and the things that are hip and the things that are hot and the things that are popular. And, you know, it doesn't take much, you know, to get a, a, a churn going there and get words mm-hmm. passing around. The kids come home every day with something new they heard and they want to download and they want to look at. So mm-hmm. I think the important thing is to make sure that you are measuring and aware of how that happens because it is a real phenomenon. It's probably even going to become uh, more critical as we move forward. Very interesting. Ira, any thoughts you want to add to this since I picked this up from your notes? Uh, no, I think uh, it's something really to, to keep an eye on, right? It's, it's a way to kind of gauge the discussion that we started. If we, if we believe that it's important to get to know your customers more than ever, uh, then this is a way to see whether or not it's happening. And it's important that we uh, not just say the words, but also measure the results. Thank you. Uh, While you were all speaking, I'm thinking of a more casual, less formal way to judge what people think about your product or your service and what came to mind. Of course, Yelp restaurant reviews. Come on, we've all seen them. And uh, very interesting, there's a theory out there. I'm going to just go around the panel and ask if you agree that the people who were the complainers or the ones who had a bad experience are mostly the ones who are going to post a negative review that can really damage a restaurant or a small business's reputation. Gray, you any thoughts on that about the the dangers uh, with with somebody just didn't like your food or they didn't like the waiter or they didn't like the tablecloth and they're just going to go out and tell everybody <laughs> about it? The worst kind of word of mouth. Gray, can this ever be prevented? Do you think without muzzling people? Well, I think you have to be careful as a company and you have to be careful as a consumer too, uh, because we've seen cases recently where people are actually getting sued for leaving uh, negative reviews. So we're going to start seeing more of that. Um, the I think it takes a lot for a customer, you know, let's just use the restaurant idea. It takes a lot for a customer to have the full hour and a half experience of, of having a meal and being served at a restaurant and leave there and feeling so passionate about <laughs> writing a horrible review that they actually do it because we're so busy. It takes time to write these reviews. So something had to really go wrong in mm-hmm. that experience. And I think that in itself is is not a one-to-one face-to-face reaction. I think that's a management issue because that can't be the first time it happened, you know, if we're specifically talking about restaurants. So uh, you have to be careful on both sides. Okay, I'm just reading a, a note here. I've Googled this, of course. Contractor sues over bad Yelp review. A Virginia contractor is suing a woman for $750,000 for a bad Yelp review. Gray and Dan and Ira, I, I heard a couple months ago that there were some restaurants in Manhattan, some of you may know them, that were asking their customers to sign a, like an NDA when they sat down saying, you will not post a bad review about us or else we're not. You know, It used to be, remember, guys, it used to be no shirt, no shirt shoes, no service. Now it's, now it's, if you're even thinking about complaining on social media, you're not getting dinner here. Go, so go to the bar next door and drink away your troubles. So uh, does anybody remember that in the news? I wonder how, how, yeah. Hey, Bonnie, uh, yeah. Gonna, this is Dan. I was going to say one thing uh, that, um, 
Gray was saying that I would actually kind of challenge a little bit. I think the people are doing their their reviews right there while they're sitting at the table and the meal, snapping a picture of it, posting it. I don't think yes. they're waiting to leave. They're doing it real time right there while they're in the venue, and I uh, that's the, right. that's the issue. So, so imagine if the chef came out. Imagine if the chef came over to the table and said, uh, "Mr. Jones and Mrs. Jones." Uh, or Dr. Jones and Mr. Jones. Let's make the woman the, the professional here. Uh, we see that you seem to be tweeting while you're eating, more <laughs> tweeting than eating, and we're very concerned. So Chef Bobby is coming out, and he would like to know, what would you like have to have done differently on the uh, filet of sole oreganata, and how do you think we could improve the dish? And the Joneses put down their phones. They stop eating, and they say, well, Chef Bobby, it's an honor to meet you. We thought there was a little too much of this, a little too much of that, and Bobby's saying to his manager over his shoulder, we are a customer-centric business now. This is really great. <laughs> is, is that what it's going to come down to on the small business level? I'm sorry I'm going overboard with this, but is, is that where, where it's going to end up? Gray, what do you think? This novelty-seeking or maybe it's the right seasoning-seeking customer, does it have to happen at that level to make it right? I think so. I, a lot of it, too, is people no, – I mean, seriously, a lot of the younger generation – they, he's right. Dan is right. They are tweeting and while they're eating. So you see it all the time. I don't do it, but you see it all the time. And you forget that it's the know me now thing again. It's, it's yeah. know exactly my experience right now. And if you have someone monitor, monitoring that, you know, real time situation, maybe you can intervene. But, uh, you know, listen, some, some people are just never going to be satisfied. You, we just have to accept that there's going to be some of that. But some of it really is that they want a new experience, and they're sharing that with their friends. And when something goes wrong, they, are, they will punish you. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they certainly will. Thank you. Interesting, Gray. Uh, good, good real-time observations here. Gray and Dan and Ira, we have a few more minutes before we go into our crystal ball predictions round. So I just want to go around the table and see, is there anything else top of mind you think we need to talk about? I can give you each a minute. Anything else? Because I think we really used the notes that you sent me. A lot of great information here. But let's just open this up. Gray, anything else on your mind you want to introduce a, a new slant to this or a new topic? And then we'll go to Dan and Ira. Go ahead, Gray. Yeah, I think the idea is tied into neophilia and the idea of know me now. And the third level of this is the attention goes where the rebellion flows. And we're seeing this in a lot of different uh, companies now. Companies, you know, we've been calling it disruption, but that really is a form of rebellion. We are rebelling against uh, traditional ways of doing business and uh, traditional ways of sort of giving the customer what they're looking for in that sort of you know, momentary, uh, immediate um, experience. And so the people who are rebellious, it seems to be that is where the attention is going. Gray, I'm going to ask you one quick question. Modern culture, are we talking the M-word millennials here, or does this go across the gamut of ages and demographic cohorts, we like to say? Who is this Who is this uh, causing this modern culture seeking rebellion against tradition? Any particular group or Every, are the seniors catching on? Well, I think it, it is spread out, but the, the base of this is, of course, the millennials. But you are seeing it uh, starting to spread into different demographics. And I think the reason it's starting with the millennials is that they're seeing the comparison of how their parents are complaining about things that don't work, you know, their, mm-hmm. their past experiences. And these kids are saying, 
we can change this. You know, I can create an app. I can go on my computer now, and mm-hmm. I can build a business that is going to solve that pain point for my parents and for my generation. So, yeah, I think that's important. Thank you. Dan Gwynn, I'm going to give you just a minute to tell me are there any other topics on your mind similar to what Gray wanted to share. Sure. You know, I think I'm just going to use a, an old quote from a, an old uh, um, philosopher, Michael Hammer, he, I'm sure which everyone's familiar with, but he used to say, technology is the easy part, people are the hard part. And kind of going back to the, the topic we talked earlier about, don't underestimating the importance of the non-technical aspects of the customer experience, uh, things like strategy and culture and having the right organizational competencies and leadership, those are still going to be the basic ingredients. Without that, all the technology in the world's not going to make a difference. And so, you know, this issue truly is a business issue, not a technical issue, and you got to keep that in mind. Thank you very much. I had never heard of Michael Hammer, so while you were speaking, Dan, I looked him up. It's Michael Martin Hammer, an American engineer, management author, and former professor of computer science at MIT, known as one of the founders of the management theory of business process reengineering. He was born in 48, a year near and dear to some of us on this call, and he passed away all the way back in 2008, obviously way too young, and a whole bunch of books here beyond reengineering and the agenda and reengineering the corporation. Thank you for the reference. Appreciate that. Ira Burke, anything else on your mind you want to bring up before we quickly go to our predictions round, please? Well, only two things. First of all, Michael Hammer was a great speaker and a great uh, teacher. I always enjoyed listening to, to him. Um, I was I was thinking about the uh, this idea of the Yelp reviews, and I think it's the same thing on Amazon reviews just about everywhere, uh, and how completely out of context they always are. Right, One person has a very good or very bad review. It doesn't tell you anything. Um, really about the quality of the service, right? It's just anecdotal. And uh, it will be interesting to see one day if that whole culture, that whole process of just having a reaction and putting it out there and people reacting based on one thing is eventually able to be brought into some kind of real-time contextual environment. If you're able to see that in the context of, yeah, it's one bad bad experience out of a 1,000 or out of 2,500 or out of three. Um, to to know what you're reading, because I think the context is is always lacking when you're talking about reading reviews, and I think there's a uh, there's an opportunity for someone to start to uh, to address that. Very well put, Ira. I have to share a quick story with you. Uh, went out to dinner with a couple about a year ago, and you'll find out why I don't go out with them anymore. They ca- we asked them to go to a certain restaurant, and they said, we don't want to go there. And I said, why? I was there with my friend last week. We had a really good meal. We had a good time. The ambiance is good. The service is great. And they said, we read bad reviews on, on Yelp. There were 20 reviews, and 19 were scathingly bad. How could you go there? And I said, but we were there, and we loved it. And they said, well, we'll go there just because we want to see you. But really, we really didn't want to go there, because how could possibly be good if night i said 19 strangers what were their co- it doesn't matter it's yelp this is true we can't go it's like are you blank blank serious i just gonna leave that one on the table literally gray scott time for the predictions round look into the crystal ball you're the futurist you're the you're the official guy with the crystal ball so tell me what do you see at what point in the future will change about our topic today the digital mindset keeping your customer at the center of your business will we still be talking will the word customer still exist will the word business still exist gray let's do a real purist future look for me tell me the year and then take one minute please i think by 2025 that idea of the customer is going to sort of fade away um, because we are entering a a digital relationship uh, that is becoming uh, horizontal. And so 
I have access now to communicate directly with these companies, and they have access uh, to me uh, directly, and in a way that we've never had that before. So they have information that by, by the 2025, 2030 range, it will seem miraculous. I mean, we're already starting to see predictive um, big data supply things uh, when it comes to information that I'm even me. I'm, I'm shocked all the time when when something pops up and it's like, oh, I needed that, and I and I question mm-hmm. myself, how? What did I put out there that triggered this uh, predictive moment for me between me and this company? And sometimes it's very hard to find that connecting point, and so that's going to fade away. I think that that sort of dualism between the customer and and uh, the, the supply chain is that's going to fade. Thank you very much, Gray. Dan Gwynn, TCS, let's hear from you. I'll give you one minute, 60 seconds, that is. Predict, please. All right. I don't know if I can put a year on it, and I'll tell you, I think this would be a great topic for your show, but I think we're going to see a continued explosion in platform business models, and these are businesses based on facilitating exchanges between buyers and sellers. Ubers, Airbnb, Amazon, PayPal, Lending Club uh, being some some examples of that. But I believe there's applications of this in a lot of other industries and markets, and this is going to be an area where they're going to continue to pop up and disrupt the establishment. Thank you very much. We didn't need a year for that. That was great. And Ira Burke, talk to me. Prediction 60 seconds. Um, you know, I, I, first of all, I really enjoyed this conversation, and I think that um, that we are going to see a more more horizontal um, more horizontal relationships between people. But that also is is almost going back to to where things started before the technology came along, right? It's all, it's only in the last you know little while you know um, that that it's been possible to have such big businesses that became so uh, that became so impersonal. And so I think the uh, the technology is almost leading us back to a uh, to a place where we do have a more, um, you know, mediated by the data, but at least a more um, one-to-one relationship between uh, people who are providing services, people who are consuming them. And uh, I think we're going to see more of that over time. Thank you very much, Ira Burke, Gray Scott, Dan Gwynn. By the way, I opened with tension, pressure, pain. If anybody didn't recognize that, it was from the old Anison ad. Anison Company was bought several times by several companies, and they are actually ranked for a different trademark, Fast, Fast, Fast Relief, slogan number 19 on a list of 100 best ad campaigns of the 20th century. But that was a century ago. Who cares? So we've had a really good conversation. Gray Scott, always a pleasure. Thank you for sharing your insights. Sites. Love having a real futurist on the show. Someday I want to know if you're going to train a bunch of other futurists who will be official, really official <laughs> futurists. I think that would be great. We need, the, we need the Gray Scott School of Futurists. There we go. Dan Gwynn, such a pleasure. And a shout-out to Tiffany Stronsky and all of our good friends at TCS. Just a pleasure to have you take the time to join us today. And Ira Burke, what can I say? We'll be working on your show soon, Internet of Things with Game Changers. And I know you have great panels as well. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Shout-out to our engineers today, Michael and Chris. And a shout-out to Ryan Treasure at World Talk Radio as well. And here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today and be safe. Have a good one. And no bad Yelp reviews. You could get sued. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to the Future of the Future with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, Tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. 
Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.